0: This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's Access Media Station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand on Air. Every month, the Quakers hold a free public meeting on the subjects of community concern. This month, they invited Dr. Andrew Frost, a researcher in offender rehabilitation at the Ada Institute of Canterbury who will be speaking about violence in our communities. nui, uh, um, uh, I would start by um, acknowledging mana whenua, uh, Ngāi Tāhu, who uh, look after this land where we're meeting this evening. I also would like to acknowledge this whare, um, this place of uh, contemplation and reflection and, and uh, conversation, um, and also to acknowledge and extend my respect you folks for coming along and attending. Thank you for coming tonight. I'm not, I know I'm not the person that you were originally expecting. Um, and uh, just to give myself some uh, a little bit of leeway, I have only had two days to prepare for this, so don't get your expectations too high. Um, so, core Andrew Frost o nor to tahi aho. Uh, So, yeah, my intention really is today is to kind of provoke some debate, provoke some thinking. um, And my topic, um, uh, as I have boldly put up there, uh, is coming to grips with violence in Aotearoa. The uh, moral and fiscal failure quote is from Bill English uh, from, I think, 2011. He was talking um, uh, in uh, quite a um, humble way about... Uh, the the government of the times um, failure uh, particularly with imprisonment but I guess we can I'm thinking of extending that to our approach to uh, violence in Aotearoa all the way along Uh, so uh, recently you might have heard that uh, Chris Luxon uh, protests at a recent announcement that enough is enough enough is enough. Um, We know when people say that they really mean it. Um, um, I've never been that sure about what people mean when they say enough is enough. It's about like saying a chair is a chair and um, an audience is an audience, isn't it? But anyway, enough is enough. It sounds very kind of uh, as though that's it. We've had enough. We've had it up to here. And so we're going to be tough on crime. There's going to be boot camps. Uh, No, sorry, they're not boot camps. They're youth offender military academies. Um, but you will remember um, another uh, pre- a previous national government did try out boot camps, um, or uh, military academies, um, which were an invisible failure it would seem. So we're stamping out violence, we're combating youth offending. The tone is kind of ironic, isn't it, And we think about going, we, want to, we want to stem violence, and we're going to stamp it out and tough it out. Um, But that's the kind of um, uh, political pass the parcel that occurs with these topics. And, you know, you can tell we're in an election year, can't you? So, yes, this was uh, Bill English's, uh, quote, uh, a moral and fiscal failure referring to prisons. And uh, at the time, this is 2011, uh, it was costing $250,000 per bed and $90,000 per prisoner to keep the minute. So the background, I guess, is law and order. And I use those terms advisedly. Law, I guess, is fairly self-explanatory. Uh, um, the term order is an interesting one, isn't it? And we think of law and order in terms of peacekeeping and that kind of thing, because order has particular kind of um, connotations. Um, Uh, To keep order, I guess, is the the specific referral here. But if you think in terms of of imposing order, creating order, and we think of the time of the signing of Tiriti or Waitangi um, and what was going on at the time, one of the reasons I understand, and I'm not a a historian, but one of the reasons I understand is that um, uh, Maori tribes and chiefs particularly were concerned about the influx of of Pakeha, the of, uh, influx of, of, of the British arriving, and they wanted some guarantee that there would be some order, and that's what they wanted to end an agreement, partly about that. Um, and of course the British were very good at order, yes, very good at order, you know, to, to have things blacked out and everything in its line and everybody in their place and we can uh, grid the sea. It's something that um, the public academic Anne Salmond, who you might know of, has talked quite a lot about, about this, the, what she calls the, the meeting of cosmologies between uh, Tonga Fenua and the arrival of the British. But order was something the British were very keen on creating order. Uh, but order has another connotation too, hasn't it? It has a connotation of ranking or hierarchy. And, and part of this, uh, this idea of, of creating an order of things, because across European cosmology, the European philosophy, this idea is there is a natural order of things, where the deity is at the top, and then there's various celestial bodies, and then there are human beings, of course, and then there are the animals, the lesser animals, the micro-animals, plants, rocks, stones, pebbles, all the way down. But this hierarchy, of course, is headed by human beings and particularly men, of course, white men particularly, uh, very important, very important. Um, and this hierarchy, there there is another aspect to this hierarchy is that there's an expectation that the higher order will manage the lower order and the idea that uh, the world is out there to be exploited. It's out there to be used by people. We'll take what we need from it, and this ex- ethic of extraction, if you like, bringing things and and holding things and and burning them and using them and uh, for for our needs. So this this is kind of part of the um, and maybe I'm drawing too long a bow here, um, uh, but I think there is a connotation of this order, isn't it? Our Order is is create is is maintained by hierarchy. And, and a, a natural order of things, so there appears to be a wave of crime we 're hearing about REM raids and um, national particular national party we 're in the election year, uh, talking up um, things uh, to do with cr- uh, particularly violence and criminal justice. Um, uh, Paul Goldsmith I said, uh, said recently that violent crime is on track to increase by 40% under Labour. Um, now, and this is where we start getting into bother really and we start trying to count crime because this is based on, on, on police data and these are acts intended to cause injury. So these are reports of violence. No matter how that, um, that incident or that scenario might end up in, whether there's a conviction at <laughs> the end of it or not, reports of data is what it based on. The other thing about this kind of data is that it's from the victimization's data set, the police victimization's data set. And so each instance of a crime is recorded, but it's how many victims are involved. So if you've got a brawl, there could be 20 or 30 victims there. So this is what they're talking about, and it in- and actually increases the, n- the number um, the other thing that this 40% extrapolation doesn't take into account uh, is the growth in population over the time that the, the government has been in power and come out of power, which would kind of, um, is not accounted for. So what I'm trying to get, for, uh, uh, get to here uh, is, is really we need to take any kind of statistics and data about increases in crime or decreases in crime with a bit of a pinch of salt. So that's 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 one aspect of it. In summary, um, certainly recorded data for uh, uh, for um, uh, l- 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 crimes of violence has increased, but it's hard to know how much. But that's just the recorded um, events, of course. So, is it waves of crime or or is it just waves of news? Because the old thing about if it. Bleeds it leads you know uh, that gets to the front page if it's kind of uh, got some prudence about it, and particularly if it if it if there's a violence and and that sort of thing about it. So we need to be cautious about when we hear about waves of, of news. It might be just it, waves of crime. Might be just waves of news. We hear often uh, in in uh, uh, about if say the All Blacks lose, there's suddenly an increase in domestic violence, uh, and that's that's widely reported. What they're saying is the re- there is a report of incidents of domestic violence. What we, one of the things we know about domestic violence, I might come back to this later, is that uh, domestic violence tends to happen as a pattern. It tends to be something that's enduring that takes place over time. It's a systematic exploitation uh, of of. Of a person over their family, usually a man um, in respect of a family and so these reported incidents might just be a kind of uh, a flare happening for what's happening at a, at a lower level. So again we need to be cautious when we hear about there's been an increase it might be just more visible aspects of the same thing. So um, The next thing I want to talk about here really, just in terms of the face of violence and how we see violence, how we perceive violence, how we understand violence, um, uh, is this notion of trauma, uh, which is uh, psychological trauma, which has very much come to the fore in in public discourse now, and particularly the connection with, with, with trauma and violence. Um, And one of the things we know is that uh, people learn particular responses to traumatic events Um, And as human beings these these traumatic events tend to live very vividly in our memories Um, Even if we don't reflect on them consciously they can come back to us and 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 haunt us in our dreams and and in flashbacks and things like that Um, so the face of trauma, sometimes um, uh, sometimes the response to trauma, uh, because it's often related to, to uh, incidents in childhood, um, the response of the victim is to be, is to try and please, to placate, to lower the, the likelihood of violence occurring. Um, another way to deal with um, that response could be, uh, uh, that experience could be something quite different. Now, if you're a youth worker and you think about working with these kids, which one you're more likely to be, want to work with, I think it's fairly clear. But they're responding to the same thing. For this, uh, this person here, perhaps, uh, what's happened is that they are uh, preoccupied with safety. They're both preoccupied with safety. But for this one, the way of keeping people at bay is to act aggressively because when people come around and they start behaving as though they want to look after you, they want to care for you, the experience of this young man perhaps was that um, that actually wasn't what they were being approached for. And so it's a response to, um, a a, a, a learned response if you like, to to abuse. Two faces of the same of the same thing. One can look very different from the other, but both in need um, of our care and attention. So, of course, there is not just individual trauma um, that we talk about. Intergenerational trauma too, where the experience of one generation. Um, is transmitted to the next not through some sort of not through some sort of DNA type thing but because of the responses because of the way uh, one one has has learned to respond to one's own experience those things in some complicated way can be can be passed on to the next generation so you get this intergenerational effect uh, of trauma and violence um, and the other point to make i think is is it's not that so with intergenerational trauma a a conventional saying um in in this field is that trauma that is not treated tends to be transmitted um so it it can be passed so so it's not just about generations of course not just about family and whanau this is about um this is about um cultural um uh, transmission as well. So historical trauma. If you belong to a group of people who has been dispossessed, uh, who has been alienated from their their resources, from their land, which has happened to a number of indigenous groups, as we we as we now we know, one of them not a million miles away from where we are now, um, that this loss of um, uh, of what what sustains us, this lot, this threat. To our um, well-being can be carried by a whole group of people, a whole community, a whole culture of people uh, who have been systematically dispossessed, alienated and so on. So what I'm drawing attention here to, I guess, is the sense uh, of this might just not occur to individuals, but whole groups can be affected. And that we know that groups who are affected by deprivation, by exclusion, uh, by deprivation, um, uh, tend to be uh, those, those groups are uh, uh, in, uh, most represented in negative statistics, not just housing and mental health and illness, but also with respect to the violence statistics as well. Is that making sense, what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, the question is then, what causes violence? what causes violence? Is there anything that comes to mind <laughs> to you and whether this is yours as well or something that you've heard what what causes violence? Are scarce resources and large people yeah yeah yeah, yeah. anger yeah yep yeah. so anger can can be transferred to violence yes greed and power yeah a sense of insecurity, a bit like we were talking about with those, those folks before. So, that, and, and all these things are relevant. They're all relevant, I think. And, um, and uh, 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 they're all studied as well. And we've got to the point, I think, where it seems like everything causes everything. Um, if I was to speak kind of glibly, um, I could say one thing that causes um, uh, violence are prisons. Ironically, prisons seem to be getting more, uh, uh, don't make people any better from that point of view. Um, And the other thing is inequality, which relates to a number of things that you folks were saying, isn't it? So um, these folks uh, in a book, uh, Wilkinson and Pickett's got a book called The Spirit Level, uh, Why Equality is Better for Everyone. Um, They make a very compelling point, I think. What they do is they look at a number of countries, OECD countries, they take the data Uh, that's produced by the state, and they they can actually measure, they have a measure of of, uh, inequality. Um, And what they do is they look at how equal or unequal various societies are various countries are and then they look at the, the the range of social problems they experience there is a very clear and very simple relationship between the level of inequality in a society and the range of social problems and it's a very wide range of social problems which does include um, violent crime violent crime is is um, uh, because they they argue, uh, from their research, it's because of the impact on people's uh, sense of self-belief, self-cohesiveness within a society and so on. Um, so th- this seems to be a very par- uh, powerful thing. Um, something I've come across um, fairly recently. Actually, I'm going to skip this bit because. Whoa, is it really tend to wait? Okay, yes. Um, I'm going to skip a few things here. I want to just talk about a... another publication brought with me. A thing from the British Psychological Society. I don't read a great deal from the British Psychological Society. They've come up with this thing called the Power Threat Meaning Framework um, to. As a way of um, well it's it's actually addressing all a, a big range of mental health um, uh, concerns, but I think it's really relevant it's really appropriate to understanding uh, about um, how we can make sense of violence how we can make sense of of, of uh, violent behavior um, so rather than um, attributing, we often attribute uh, people's violent behaviour to various psychological um, mechanisms and labels: antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, paranoia, yeah, paranoid personality, those kind of things. Um, their argument is: is these these labels that are put on people uh, suggest that the problem is within the per- the person; it's resident within them, yeah. You know? Their approach is to talk about uh, this combination, this triad of power, threat, and meaning, so that power is, is uh, has been abused or exploited in some way in that person's life, maybe through abuse, through early childhood experiences, or maybe later in life, or maybe a whole community of people have experienced uh, um, uh, a big um, um, inequality of power. That, that power has... To make, Created some threat from you uh, to them, so so for instance, working with an individual, you rather than saying what's wrong with you, what's your problem, you say what's happened to you, what's happened to you, um, uh, and that 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 um, exploitation might be embodied, it might be a bodily kind of uh, um, abuse, it might be economic, it might be relational, it might be ideological, um, uh, and, and so on. So. Um, and these, this abuse of power tends to, neg- tends to compound in its effects. So neglected children are more likely to be bullied, bullied children are more likely to, and so on and so on, so forth. Um, so this idea um, that something's happened to this person, the next thing we ask is how did it affect you? What was the threat that it created in you? And so this is related to our core needs of safety and security. It's how we've been. Um, these things are mediated by biology, certainly, in terms of you know the cortisol or, or whatever it is in our system. But essentially, um, it, 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 um, it, it is to do with a threat to one's core needs of safety and security. The next question is then, what is the meaning? What sense did you make of what was happening to you? What sense did you make of it? So, Meaning and narrative, of course, the stories that we tell about our lives are tremendously important about ourselves and towards other people. Are tremendously important in terms of how that that meaning is transferred and and, and uh, the expression of all mental distress, if you like, whether it's shame or fierce or shame is based on a kind of uh, a lack of of of, of um, uh, a sense of um, or a sense of. A sense of lack of belief in oneself, reduced uh, sense of esteem, a sense of worthlessness, meaninglessness and so on, um, or if it's, um, if it's to do with fear um, it's to do with um, uh, you know those those threats to, to core self. So then the next question is given those things then, given that what's happened to you, what threat it posed to you, the meaning you've made of it, what did you need to do to survive? what did you need to do to survive and if we think now of going back to those images i showed you before of the two young men um, they've done different things to survive but essentially they want to survive they're preoccupied with safety um, violent behavior then we can see through this lens um, in various ways. So our our response may be then, uh, you know, what resources have you got uh, and and what is your story? This c- connects with, if I can, sorry, I'm just, I'm, I'm being very theoretically, if I just connect this with another, um, theoretical model There's another framework really so this is a chap called tony ward who um, uh, uh, is a uh, i guess a, a public academic these days a psychologist who's, who's um, lived in new zealand and in australia he talks about this thing called the good lives model and his argument essentially is that we're all after the same basic things in life we all have the same set of needs in the sense of competence uh, to be able to relate, a sense sort of belonging, um, a sense of uh, autonomy, mana of rangatiratanga, uh, to be able to kind of be in control of our, we all have those same things, but we look at different ways to achieve that thing. So, those and so some of the ways of trying to achieve those those needs. Uh, might be very dysfunctional indeed, um, and, and that's where we can think of things like um, domestic violence uh, and, and other kinds of violence, that um, um, somebody in that situation, in order to try and retain that sense of esteem, goes to the, the, the things that he's been trained to, to do, the things he's been trained to want in terms of a- achieving esteem, power, and and so tries to achieve these things, tries to achieve closeness, uh, proximity for instance, through uh, the use of, of physical or psychological violence. Very dysfunctional way, but we can understand it through that lens. All right. Look, um, I'm aware that I should be finishing any time now. And, and one of the things I, I didn't do in my two days of preparing for this uh, for this session tonight was, was to actually put a timing on. Where Annabelle said to me, "How long are you going to talk about it? I've got no idea, Isaiah." <laughs> so, so look, let let me let me just fast forward. Um, a contention that I have then um, is maybe abuse is better explained by its context rather than its cause. In other words what's going on around what what is the what is the social climate what is the history of the that person what is the history of their family? what is the history of their community? These are maybe better ways for us to understand uh, uh, violence um, so I was going to talk about a number of of contexts and i 'm going to flip through these very quick. And this will be quite dizzy i'm sorry um, um, uh, so uh, uh, so for instance a, c- a celebrity um, uh, Uh, sexual abuse. Um, uh, You might be familiar with this um, character here, uh, whose name escapes you at the moment. Um, Of course, everybody else knows. Uh, These are 35 of the 54 victims um, whose uh, faces were on the cover of the New Yorker magazine. Um, uh, a few years ago. Um, so so the, the theme I'm getting to here is, is this kind of hidden nature. This is decades after the abuse occurred that these, these women um, came forward. Um, other figures you'll recognize uh, in similar kind of um, contexts. Nobody knew. It was hidden in plain sight. Lots of people knew about it but nobody spoke up. And um, I think this is an interesting thing, isn't it? Uh, Part of my um, uh, uh, thesis here is that uh, abuse is often hidden in plain sight, sometimes by celebrity, sometimes by moral reputation. Uh, And yes, even in uh, Aotearoa and even in Waitaha, uh, we have people you remember, Morgan Fahey, you may recall. um, Dr. Morgan Fahey, uh, brother Bernard, um, Bernard Bernard McGrath, who had a, a, a huge reputation uh, 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 for working with, with with youth, with street youth, um, um, and so on and so forth. So, part of the concern, part of the problem here, is that we don't recognise um, uh, these people. We don't recognise these men as as abusers because the, the sort of imagery that we associate with abusers is particularly the sex monster imagery. Uh, and this kind of language is used. When we look, if you look, if you look up um, sex offender and look at images on Google or whatever, these are the kind of images you get. Um, and they, um, they are much, um, uh, much different to somebody like this. Uh, Who um, uh, um, made a number of child rape attempts, but of course he wasn't wearing a hood and didn't look like that. Um, So um, another way of thinking about this kind of uh, violent offending, uh, abuse, might call it, is is to 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 look at the context of captive contexts, and it's not just um, it's things like institutional entrapment, the institution of the Roman Catholic Church, Um, and I'm, I'm not. This is not, an, uh, this is not a, any kind of uh, impunity towards uh, to, um, uh, the, the, the religion of, of Catholicism. But in terms of the institution, the way, in terms of the way it's set up, you're thinking of the hierarchies of power, the power of priests who are the sole connection with God for its parishioners, uh, the sacrament uh, uh, of, of confession, um, um, the power, uh, the patriarchal power. There's no women have any power. It's these kinds of. And of course, we all know about the the scandals around the Catholic Church globally. Um, but the other context in which there's a lot of secrecy, a lot of privacy, uh, is in relation to family violence, family and domestic violence um, as well. Um, uh, some, statistics. it's a huge problem. Domestic and family violence is an enormous problem. Um, I can tell from some of these statistics that I'm I'm not going to um, go through. But just financially alone, in 2014, an estimated 4.1 or maybe up to $7 billion per year. This is in New Zealand. $7 billion in in 2013 is 60% of what was earned from dairy export. That's the price of it, the economic cost of treating, of days, of sick days, of imprisonment, and everything to do uh, with domestic violence. So, rather than what caused this person to use violence, maybe the better question is, what was the power relations context in which this person exploited others, this person chose to exploit others. Now that's not to take away responsibility or accountability from people, but violence tends to happen in particular contexts. It doesn't come out of the blue. Thank you for that. You've been listening to Dr. Andrew Frost speaking at the June Quaker Forum, a series of free monthly public meetings on subjects of community concern. Visit their website for information on future events. That's quakers.nz.